Thank you so much for joining us for the Summit Podcast. This message was produced with you in mind, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has shown himself faithful in your life. Email us at mystory@summittogether.com. Um, we're starting a new series today, and the series is called Guardrails. And uh, we're continuing, I told you a few weeks ago, that we we're going to basically be preaching about the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the entire summer. Um, and so we're getting back on that train. We were, we were uh, spent a few weeks in a series called Margin, and I really enjoyed that series. And if you missed it, I would love for you to, to watch the video or listen to the podcast. They're available on our website. But we're picking back up in Matthew chapter 5 today, and there's a resource that I'll reference in just a minute. It's, by, uh, it's a book by a guy named Andy Stanley. He's a pastor of a church in, uh, in the Atlanta, Georgia area, and, and this book is called Ask It. And I'm telling you, this is one of the best books I've ever read. Uh, you, you, if you struggle in your life making wise choices or you struggle uh, living out God's best for your life, I would strongly encourage you, pick up this book. Uh, it will bless you. It's going to be great, I promise. And we're going to refer to this throughout our series in some way or another, but I'll get to this in just a moment. Now, when, um, when you look at the United States, the truth is people, people get into destructive behaviors often, don't we? Whether we realize it or not, we often um, implode ourselves with our own stupid decisions. We, we do stupid things, don't we? We love to think that we're smart and we're the exception, but the truth is we do stupid things all the time. This last week, I saw a pastor of a, a well-known church. He's well-known in Christian circles, um, had a moral failure, and he had been cheating uh, on, a, on his wife with a woman, and it was, it's heartbreaking to see this. And this is a guy I had a lot of respect for. And, and to see this happen, I think if it can happen to them, it can happen to anybody if we're not careful. Any one of us can get ourselves in a bad place if we're not careful, if we don't guard our hearts. And so the title of the series, Guardrails, it comes from, and, and driving through hills and mountains around here, you get this. When you're driving through an area that's a little bit curvy, what do they have? They have guardrails along the side of the road. And a guardrail is simply defined as this. It's a system designed to keep people or vehicles from, in most cases unintentionally, straying into dangerous areas. And aren't you thankful for guardrails? Like, there's, I've never hit a guardrail, but... Uh, it's made me feel a little bit better at times. Like, hey, I might get crazy here and hit the guardrail, but at least I'm not going off into the ditch. I'm not going off the side of this mountain. The guardrail is there for protection, right? And so uh, the thing I like about this, this definition is it says, in most cases, unintentionally. I don't know anybody that's uh, they've been in an accident and the report afterwards, the police officer's like, how'd this happen? And he goes, well, you know what? I wanted to see how fast I could fly down the side of the mountain, so I just swerved, veered off the side. Like, no, what happens? Well, they're driving, they're not paying attention, and they go off the side of the road. They, they end up in the ditch. And if you've ever been in an accident, you know you don't do it on purpose. It happens unintentionally. And it says they're straying into dangerous areas. And that's, that's one of the things we see that, that people, they don't plan to lose their marriage or their jobs or their reputations, but it happens when we make stupid choices, doesn't it? I've never heard of anybody who was living their life well that lost their reputation and lost their family, like a country western song, right? Like, that's why I don't like country music. I heard somebody say one time, I played a country music, a country western album backwards, and you know what happened? I said, no, and they said, oh, well, <clears throat> I got my job back, I got my wife back, I got my house back, I got my... Some of you are like, I like country western, I don't appreciate you making fun of it. <laughs> but people don't plan to lose their reputation. They don't plan to lose their families. It happens slowly and subtly before we even realize it. 
Another definition for guardrail is it's a railing guarding usually against danger, especially a barrier placed along the edge of a highway at dangerous points. And this is one of the keys for us. In our lives, we have to be aware of what our danger points are. As a Christian, you must be aware of the areas that that you have weaknesses in. When I was a teenager, I never struggled with alcohol or drugs. Never. In my life, never had a problem. And it was easy for me to say no. It was easy for me to avoid that temptation. It just wasn't a thing for me. But I struggled in my relationship with girls. And so as a result, I had to put up guardrails in my life. I had to to guard myself against some of the weaknesses. If somebody said, hey, you want to go to this restaurant? And they serve alcohol there. I wouldn't have to be like, no, I shouldn't because I might might sin. I don't need to worry about that because it doesn't matter what's, I'm not going to drink alcohol. I'm just not going to do it. It's not a temptation for me. It's not that big a deal, right? But there's other things in my life. There's movies I can't watch. There's, There's places I can't go. There's things I can't look at because I know my weaknesses, so I put guardrails up in my life. Does that make sense? I know what my dangerous areas are, so I have to guard myself against those things. See, we have to understand where our dangerous points are located. And knowing our weaknesses allows us to put guardrails up to prevent getting into the danger zone. Because those guardrails, if you've ever noticed, the guardrails aren't down the side of the mountain, are they? The guardrails are in the safe zone. If you hit the guardrail, you're not down the side of the mountain yet, right? Does that make sense? If they moved the guardrail out and paved the area where the guardrail is, you could probably drive on it. Because the guardrail is put in a safe area to prevent you from getting into danger. Are, Are you tracking with me? Does that make sense? And so for our lives, we have to begin to put up guardrails to guard our hearts, to guard ourselves. And one of the problems we do, we have, is that a lot of times we ask the wrong questions. We ask questions like, is it sinful? Or is it wrong? Or will I go to hell if? When I was a a youth pastor, I would have teenagers all the time ask me questions like that. Well, um, what can I get away with with my girlfriend? And really what they were asking is, what can I do without going to hell? Like, I want to have as much fun physically, but I I don't want to go to hell. So what what can I get away with? And I would usually say, ask her dad. And whatever her dad says, I'm okay with. (laughs) Uh, And all the dads of daughters in the house were like, that's right. I like that answer. Because typically what we do is we, we ask what we can get away with. Where is the line? Where where Where's the point that I won't go to heaven anymore? Because I want to live as close to that point as possible. That's typically how we live our lives. So instead of asking, is it sinful? Because that's a question that's going to lead us real close to that line. One of the questions we should ask, or the question we should ask is, is it wise? Because I will tell you this. Every sinful decision I've ever made in my life has been preceded by a number of unwise decisions. And there's a guardrail in my heart when it comes to my relationship with my wife. Can I tell you this? I had studied for this message and prepped for it. And last night I had a dream that I rode in a car with a woman by myself. And there was nothing going on. Like there was nothing illicit happening. I don't even remember who it was. But we rode in a car and I woke up and I felt convicted. (laughs) Number one, I wasn't sinning. Number two, it was a dream, but I, after I recovered from like the, oh my gosh, like when I woke up, I realized, oh yeah, it was a dream, and I was so proud of myself because that guardrail was up even in my dream. I was, I was feeling convicted in my dream. 
That's a guardrail we have in our relationship. I won't ride in a car with a woman who's not my wife. I will not take it, even if we're just going down the street, even, it's not going to happen. Because, and you might go, well, Mel, how would that lead to anything? Well, it probably wouldn't in that moment. I, I think I told the story before. Um, I did a funeral one time. And um, the funeral director, um, she was a very nice woman. But she, she I, I would not have said I was attracted to her in any way if I can say that as politically correct as possible. She just was not a, a beautiful woman physically. And she was really nice, but she looked like she could have been like on the practice squad for the Steelers maybe, okay, if I can say it like that. <laughs> super nice lady though, super nice. <laughs> I'm gonna be in more trouble for that than I was my statement earlier, won't I? Um, so the funeral ends, and we're going to go out to the graveside because, um, you know, you do the funeral, like the real funeral, and then you do like a mini funeral in the south at the graveside. And so uh, typically the, the minister will ride in the car with, the, um, with the, the funeral director. And so the funeral director is driving the hearse. And she said, Pastor, would you like to ride with me? And I said, well, who, who else is riding with us? And she said, well, it's just you and I and the deceased. Technically, we're not alone. And, and we got somebody else in the car with us. He's just not alive anymore. And my wife, if she saw the woman, like, she would probably be okay. Like, my wife would be like, oh, no, you're good. Go ahead. Just take the ride. You're fine. Right? And, but I was conflicted in my heart because we had set these guardrails up for protection. We'd set guardrails in a safe area to keep us from getting in danger. Does that make sense? And so I was conflicted. And finally, I just said, listen, uh, as part of my marriage, I just, I, I don't ride in a car with a woman who's not my wife. And this is why I do that. I just, I want you to know. So I'll drive out there. I'll follow you and it's no big deal. And she was very gracious about it. She totally understood. And, and the thing is, anyone could have made the argument to just ride in the hearse with the dead body and the funeral director, right? Like, what's going to happen? We weren't going to pull off on the side of the road at the front of the funeral procession, right? Just throw the thing in park on the, it's not going to happen, right? It would not have happened. But this is what happens. One unwise choice leads to another unwise choice, leads to another unwise choice. And all of a sudden, I'm staring down the barrel of a sinful choice. Does that make sense? One casual conversation leads to coffee together, leads to dinner together, leads to, well, let's get together after work, to all of a sudden you're looking at an affair. Unwise choices always precede sinful choices in our lives. That's why guardrails are important. Have you ever noticed there are those, those uh, strips down the side of the road? They're called rumble strips or sleeper strips. And when you're driving, if you're not paying attention and you get onto those and it like shakes your whole car, it's like, and everybody in the car jumps like, what did we just hit? And right. And the reason those are there is when you doze off, when you start getting drowsy, it will wake you up in a major way. If you're going 75 down the highway and you get on one of those bad boys, everyone in the car is awake. Your wife, what are you doing? Pay attention, you know, the whole thing. Nah, my wife doesn't do that. Your wife does. <laughs> but what is the purpose? The purpose is to rouse us from our drowsiness, to get us to pay attention to where we're going. 
And in the same way that those sleeper strips, that those, that those guardrails are important to keep us on the road and keep us safe, we have to put guardrails in our life to keep us on the road and keep us safe. And if we don't, we're playing with danger. Proverbs 4.23 says this. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. That's, that's pretty direct, isn't it? Another version of the NIV says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And the passage we're going to look at today from Matthew chapter 5 is all about our heart. It's all about what's going on in us that leads us to do uh, wrong or sinful things. So let me read this passage to you. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. And, and I just want to encourage you. I've, I preached almost a whole message on this passage uh, back Gosh, probably the summer of last, in 2014. And so I won't get into as much depth as I did then. We don't have the time. But, but if you want to go a little deeper with that, uh, it was in one of my messages on Philippians. I think it was uh, the fourth part of that series. So if you want to go back, you can certainly do that. Let me start with verse 17. It says, uh, and this is Jesus talking again, the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to this crowd. And he says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have, come, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So he says, everything you read in the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, everything, all the thou shalt and thou shalt nots, and everything the prophets said, all the prophetic words and the prophecies about the Messiah, he said, guess what? I'm not coming to do away with it. I'm coming to fulfill it. I am the fulfillment of that word. So he said, everything you saw in the Old Testament points back to me. So when he talks about the law, there are 613 Hebrew laws, 365 thou shalt nots and 248 thou shalt. That's a lot of laws, right? And Jesus said, I didn't come to get rid of those. I came to fulfill them. And he says in verse 18, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Therefore, and listen to this, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So what Jesus is saying is the entire Bible matters. Even the parts you don't agree with. Even the parts you don't like. Even the parts you ignore because they make you uncomfortable. Every portion of scripture is important for us today. Period. And it's not me saying this. This is Jesus saying this. So you can argue with me if you want to, but you can't argue with Jesus. You can. You'll be wrong. And he says every single part of it matters. When he says dot and iota, it's, he's talking about um, letters, and he's talking about the smallest parts of the letters. So basically it's like me saying, hey, every part of Scripture matters. Every dotted I and every cross T matters. Every little bit of it matters is what he's saying. And then he says, therefore, whoever relaxes the least of these commandments, so he says whenever we slacken or loosen the word of God and go, oh, Jesus didn't know what he was talking about. God didn't know what he's talking about. If he knew what we knew today, then he wouldn't have taught this way or he wouldn't have lived that way or he wouldn't have said it quite like that because we know today. What we're doing is we're loosening scripture to make it fit us. And he said, whoever does that and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. So what he's saying is we have a responsibility with our lives, not just as teachers because obviously I'm, I'm teaching up here, but every one of us, our lives teach your kids watch you. Your coworkers watch you. The people in your life that, that don't serve God and don't go to church and don't have a relationship with him, when, when you say you do, they watch you. And your life is teaching whether you realize it or not. So in our life, whenever we loosen or slacken the word of God and we teach others to do the same, Jesus says we're going to be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. 
But then he, he, on the other side of that, he says, but whenever we do them and teach others to do the same, we're going to be called great in the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is saying here is the scripture matters. The word of God matters in our lives. It's, it's not something that we should take lightly. It's not something that's peripheral. It matters for us today. Now listen to this. This was the most terrifying statement that I think you could hear as a New Testament believer. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the scribes and Pharisees had 613 laws that they had to fulfill, and they actually kept count on how many they fulfilled, and they would, it was like a running contest with each other to see who was the most holy and the most pious, because I kept the most laws, and, and you didn't keep as many as me. And they had this chart, it was like a top 20, like BCS for, uh, for scribes and Pharisees, like who is the best, right? And so when Jesus tells all these common believers, and he says, unless your righteousness exceeds their righteousness, you're never going to get to heaven, all these people will collectively went, well, what's the point? How could we possibly do it? And the truth is they can't because their system was based on, on religious acts, was based on how we cleaned ourselves up and what we did physically. And Jesus was saying, your righteousness can't exceed theirs because you can't work hard enough. You can't try hard enough. You can't be righteous enough in yourself. And what Jesus hadn't shared quite yet was that true righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees only comes from one place, and that's Jesus Christ. And he said, when you take on my righteousness, then you'll be more righteous than these guys. But, but we can't do it in ourselves. So he makes a statement, and I'm sure they're all freaking out. Well, what in the world? How do we do that, right? You just made it more difficult. But really, in many ways, he was, he was making it simpler. He goes on to say this in verse 21. You have heard, it, or heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders, you uh, will be liable to judgment. So, right, we, we understand that. Don't murder. It's pretty common, right? Nobody has to be convinced you shouldn't murder. Everybody knows you shouldn't murder. And he says, if you do, you'll be liable to judgment. But this is what he does. In verse 22, he says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So he uses the same language. And he says, if you are angry with your brother, you're liable to judgment. Now, he, he backs this way up and does, says, oh, now, <clears throat> you thought it was bad to murder. And it is bad to murder. But I'll tell you, it's bad to be angry at those around you. And again, people are going, well, wait a second. You just made this thing a lot tougher. But what Jesus is dealing with is he's dealing with our heart, not just our actions. <clears throat> he goes on to say, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. That's pretty hardcore, isn't it? When I was a kid, I would never call anybody a fool because I thought that was like the unpardonable sin. If I call somebody a fool, Jesus said, I'm going to hell, right, right there. I don't know how you argue with that. And so I, would, I was never going to call anybody a fool. What I didn't understand what he was really saying is when we have anger in our heart and it causes us to speak out and lash out against those around us, we are already on our way into the ditch. We have passed the rumble strips. We are on our way down the side of the mountain. And you go, well, Mel, what is wrong with getting angry? We all get angry once in a while. Absolutely. But what we need to do is begin putting guardrails up in our life. When we get angry, we go, well, wait, wait a second. I'm not in the danger zone yet. I'm not ready to kill somebody yet. But I know that my heart is angry, and I hear those rumble strips, and I, I, need to, I need to slow down. I need to back off. I need to guard my heart because your heart matters. It's not just your actions that matter. It's your heart. Remember what we said earlier, that guard your heart because 
everything in your life flows from it. So see, sometimes we think, well, if I just think these things or if I just feel these things, it's not so bad. What Jesus is saying is, no, it is bad because every ill action in your life begins with your heart. It begins with something that's residing there. So guard your heart, protect your heart, keep yourself from ever getting to the point where you even, even think about that. And you go, well, I would never consider murder. Well, no, there's a lot of people on death row that thought they would never consider murder. And they got angry one day. They, they sought revenge one day. And again, this isn't a message about anger. This is a message about our heart, guarding our heart well. Verse 23 says, so, you are for, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Now look at this. He says, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and then remember your brother has something against you. He doesn't say, remember that you have something against your brother. Remember that your brother has offended you. It says, remember that your brother has something against you. You have done something to somebody else. Even, and it doesn't justify it, it doesn't say, but if you were in the right, or if they, had, if they deserved it, or if they just didn't understand, then forget it. What does it say? It says, if you're about to offer a sacrifice to God and you realize that there's somebody who has ought against you, it's your responsibility as a believer to go to them and make it right before you offer a sacrifice. What Jesus is essentially doing is saying, it is more important for me to be right with my brother than to offer sacrifice. Again, this might be an area my elders are going, would you shut up? Stop saying stuff like this. And as seriously as, as God takes the sacrifice and for us to, to honor him with everything we are and everything we have, he takes even more seriously the condition of our heart. And he said, this needs to be a guardrail for you. Not just that if you get angry, but if somebody's angry with you, you need to go fix it. You, you need to recognize that and reconcile that relationship before you try to offer a sacrifice, before you try to act like everything's good between you and God. Verse 25 says, Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now there are, are two contexts in this scripture. One is the stated context that we see. That he's talking about debt. And when one person owed money to another, if they refused to pay, there's an excellent chance they were going to be thrown in jail until that debt was repaid. And this is the, the, the direct context of what we see. But there's also this foreshadowing in this scripture as well. And it's talking about uh, coming to terms or settling with our accuser in our spirit and in our soul. Now, the question is, who is the accuser of our soul? And the accuser of our soul is the devil. And sometimes when we say devil, we think of the pitchfork and the horns and the tail and the, the character, the, the cartoon version of the devil. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the entity that wants to see you destroyed. The enemy of our soul. He's our accuser. And there's no way to settle with our accuser except through the blood of Jesus. See, Jesus pays that debt off. There's an old song in the church that says, he paid a debt I, I did not, he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. What Jesus does is he pays the debt to our accuser so that we don't have to spend any time in jail, if you will. So there's this foreshadowing of what's to come. And he says, truly I say to you, you'll never get out until you have paid the last penny. The truth is we can't pay the last penny of our spiritual debt that we owe. That spiritual debt is paid by one, it's paid by Jesus. 
We can't be good enough. <laughs> we can't try hard enough. We can't white-knuckle uh, our way to heaven just trying to be a better Christian. It happens when we say, Jesus, I want to be in a relationship with you. I need you to pay the debt that I could never pay. I want to take on your righteousness because <laughs> if the scribes and Pharisees can't get to heaven and they were as righteous as they were in themselves, how am I going to do it? I'm the pastor of this church, and I will tell you, I would not consider myself righteous. I'm not righteous, but I am because I've taken on the righteousness of Christ. I don't deserve to get into heaven just because I pastor a church. I got bad news. There's going to be a bunch of pastors of churches that don't get into heaven. It's not because I'm a pastor. It's because I've taken on the righteousness of Christ. How do, how do we avoid sin? How do we avoid temptation? How do we avoid the consequences that none of us want to see in our lives? The way we avoid it is by asking the right questions. Instead of saying, what can I get away with? Or how far can I go? We have to start asking, is this wise? Is it sinful for you to have a friendship on Facebook with an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend from high school? No, you're not going to hell for that. Is it wise? No, it's not wise. Is it wrong for you to go to lunch with a coworker of the opposite sex? No, it's not wrong. You're not going to lose your salvation for that. Is it wise? No, it's not wise. If you're an alcoholic or struggle with alcoholism, is it wise to go with the people after work to the bar? No, it's not wise. Is it sinful? No, it's not a sin, but it's definitely not wise. Do, do you catch where I'm going? Every one of us in our lives, I could list a laundry list of, of things and, and, and not hit yours, but I can let the Holy Spirit speak to you right now. You know what the Holy Spirit's speaking to you about. There's areas of every one of our lives that we go, okay, you know what, maybe I'm not sinning, but I need to put up some guardrails. I need to put up some boundaries. I need to put some, some, protection, uh, some protective things up in my life to keep me from getting into the danger zone. If you want to avoid consequences in your life, does anybody like consequences? No, none of us like consequences. Unless it's like, hey, you messed up on your job. Somebody gets an ice cream cake, right? Like that doesn't happen. You mess up, there's consequences, right? None of us like consequences. How do we avoid consequences? By asking the right question. Is it wise? And, you know, this book deals with that. And I would strongly encourage you to pick this book up. Um, it'll help walk, it, walk you through and navigate you through some of these areas. The question I want to leave you with today is, is not are you living in sin, but are you living a lifestyle that's going to lead you to sin? Are you living your life and doing things and have habits or patterns in your life that maybe aren't sinful but definitely aren't wise. If so, I would strongly encourage you, put some boundaries up, put some guardrails up to keep you from getting into those sin areas so you can avoid some consequences. Let's pray. God, I love you. <clears throat> I'm so grateful that you are good and that you love us and you care for us. <clears throat> God, I thank you that, that our lives matter to you, that every person here has a calling and a gifting. The Lord, you want to use us, but God before anything else, you want us to be right with you. So Lord, I pray today, if there are those of us here that are living lives that are unwise, living lives that are for ourselves, God, I pray that we begin to get things right with you, begin to honor you with everything we are. God, I pray that you help us see the areas of our lives that we have weaknesses in. Help us see the areas of our lives that, that, that might be dangerous for us. Help us to recognize those. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to, to help us put guardrails up. Help us recognize when we're heading for a dangerous spot. 
I pray that you just begin to speak to us right now. Lord, every one of us is going to be different. Every one of us deals with different things. So God, I pray that you'd speak to us individually about those areas. Help us to recognize that and then let us respond to it. Have your way with us. Now, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask, if you're here today and you say, um, Mel, I'm not really a Christian. I'm not really a follower of Jesus. Truthfully, I don't even really understand what all was going on today, but I just know in my heart that I'm not right with God. I want to, I want to make a decision for Jesus. I want to be in relationship with him. And I want to change my life. I want him to change my life. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and let me pray for you? I'm not going to make you come forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray with you right where you're at. So if that's you, would you say that's me? Raise your hand. Thank you. Over here on my left. I see your hand, sir. Awesome. Who else says that's me? Pray for me. I, I, I want to get some things right with God, and I can't do it on my own. Thank you. Back by the camera. I see you, buddy. Who else? Just a few more seconds. You say that's me. Pray for me, Mel. I need to get some things right with God. Thank you. Over here on my right, man. Put your hand down. Awesome. Thank you, ma'am. You can put your hand down. Great. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else? That's me. Pray for me. Thanks. Up in the balcony. I see you. You can put your hand down, ma'am. Praise God. All right, this is what I'd like you to do. I would like every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, just to repeat this really simple prayer after me. The Bible tells us, that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Christ rose from the dead, that's really all it takes for us to be saved. Now for us to take the next step, it takes relationship for us to be joined together with him. So we'll get to that in just a second, but please just repeat this very simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me even when I was unlovable. Take my life and use it for your glory. I thank you that I'm forgiven of every sin in my life. I'm never going back to old ways or old habits or old sin. My life is yours, and I commit to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we give God a round of applause for that? Thank you, Jesus. You are so good. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To watch this message on video, go to summittogether.com.